Family meeting after 10. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. And we're joined today by a special guest, our friend Lauren Parker. Hi, everyone. Welcome, Lauren. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's exciting. Lauren actually also hosts her own podcast. You have several podcasts. Yes, I'm on the Your Nerd is Showing podcast network. I am the producer and co-host of uh, Book Feelings, Coffee at Luke's, which is a Gilmore Girls podcast, and then Erotic Friend Fiction, which is a Bob's Burgers podcast. Those do not sound as manly as ours. No, uh, this podcast could definitely beat up my podcasts. Okay, cool. As long as we've made that clear, um, you know, we just like to kind of do the sub-primate dominance thing, like... Or is it primate subdominance? I think that, I think that's what it is. Man, primate subdominance. I'm not good at being manly, guys. <laughs> You'll learn. The show will teach you. I'm working on it. That's right. That's why we're doing the podcast. <laughs> uh, we did get an interesting note from a listener that I wanted to share. And Louise writes, Hi, Kelly and Tom. I have now listened to every one of your amazing podcasts, despite never having watched Mr. Selfridge and not made it past season one of Downton. <laughs> I just love you guys. When you started with Peaky Blinders, though, I knew I actually had to give this show a watch. I am currently studying in London for my master's to become a voice and accent coach, and Peaky Blinders has caused a bit of accent controversy here in the UK, or controversy in the UK. It's actually a fictional accent that was created for the show, as the authentic Brummie accent is much, much thicker and would be more or less unintelligible to international audiences. Birmingham citizens have been fairly vocal about their distress at the misrepresentation of their mode of speech, which you can see with a quick Google search. Anyway, my dorm is just around the corner from Selfridges, so let me know if I can pick up anything from the Palm Court for you. <laughs> when are you visiting London? Cousin, customer, listener, Anne Louise. Uh, yeah, first of all, I think I'd prefer something from the Tea Emporium. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're a real Gordon, Tom. Yes, I am. Uh, and second of all, yeah, that's actually when we were watching this show just for fun, I was looking around for recaps of it online and the one in, I believe it was the guardian. That was the only one we found, I think was yeah. in the guardian. And that guy could not stop complaining about the inauthentic accent. I believe it was a woman actually. Oh well, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I can't remember whoever it was. The we don't first... see gender Kelly. Oh, right. <laughs> because that's super manly. <laughs> uh, I remember that whoever did Peaky Blinders, the first series, fucking hated it. Yeah. For The Guardian. And then they got somebody who actually enjoyed it. Oh, wait. I think it was a man the first series and then a woman the second series. Mm. Because the guy kept complaining that it was basically like a lad mag. Yeah. And like he just kept saying lad mag so often (laughs) that it lost all meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But people are mad about this. And I'm ambivalent. Yeah. I mean, I'm American. It's our job to not care about this. <laughs> As the international audience who's watching the show on closed caption anyway, um, I like that I can understand half of what they're saying at any <laughs> rate. So, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, we just watch everything with closed caption now. Like, mm-hmm. even things in American English that are very easy to understand. I can't explain exactly why, but we're doing that now. I mean, I love reading a film. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that must be it. Well, it's just the lack of ambiguity, you know? Even if there's just one word you miss and they're like, hmm, I wonder what they were trying to say there, you know? Ah, and to answer Amory's question, the plan is to come to London sometime between December 17th and 31st. Oh, okay. We don't have the details nailed down now. This is all news to Tom, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the hope. We're working on it, uh, making sure all finances are in order and whatnot. So stay tuned for more updates <laughs> on that front. Uh, yeah, and with that, we can uh, we can jump into this recap. All right. 
So we see people shoveling and carrying things on Fire Street or whatever it's called. And Killian is that Wal- like Fire Island? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Fire Island, the manliest island in America. <laughs> That's technically true. The <laughs> <laughs> so Killian walks by and heads into the garrison and asks Grace for a bottle of whiskey and three glasses. She asks whether he wants Scotch or Irish whiskey, and of course he wants Irish whiskey. Like, what is this? What's the difference between Irish and Scotch whiskey? Uh, Irish whiskey is blended. Scotch tends to be single malt. So, Scotch is Scotch. Yes. And whiskey is Irish. Generally speaking, yeah. Yeah. I don't drink brown liquor. (laughs) (laughs) Grace hands him the bottle of whiskey and says that she has decided not to go to the race without another two pounds, ten shillings for the dress because she feels like she can shake down this criminal. uh, She just wants to say yes to the dress, Tom. (laughs) Killian says that he already gave her three pounds. She asks how much he paid for his suit, and he says that his suits are on the house or the house burns down. He's so cool, guys. I like that method of payment. It's actually really effective. Yeah. <laughs> if only I were more into arson. <laughs> she asks if he wants her to go looking like a flower girl, and he says that it's not him she's dressing up for, and he closes the hatch, and she watches two men go into the room after him, and then pow, Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Manliest title card in all television. Mm-hmm. I know I keep saying that, but it's still it's true. It's as true now as it ever was. <laughs> So the two men drink some whiskey, and they say it's hard for a man from Sparkbrook to step into that pub. I think Sparkbrook is a great name for a town. Yeah, uh, if you're if you're starting a new town. Yeah, yeah. Sparkbrook. Sparkbrook 2. Electric Brookaloo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Killian says that anybody with money and good intentions is welcome at the garrison. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. This, <laughs> you know, hub of criminal activity is just uh, totally open to everybody. So they say they have delicate business concerning the BSA, and they've heard rumors of a robbery. We see Grace eavesdropping, not at all inconspicuously. No. Again, worst spy ever. She's so (laughs) terrible. Like, she's so obviously a spy. (laughs) So terrible. No, she's like a little girl playing at being a spy. Yeah. She's like Harriet the Spy. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, and Sam Neill treats her that way. But, like, I don't hold him even responsible for this. Yeah. Because if she were as steely as she likes to pretend to be, she wouldn't give a shit about anything. Also, her plot line, her backstory makes very little sense to me. Uh-huh. Like, her actual backstory or her fake cover story? Like, her actual backstory. Oh, okay. Because I just don't see her full of rage or vengeance or passion or anything. Or anything, yeah. yeah That's kind of the, the problem there. Yeah. There's no there there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I find it really hard to believe that the Crown would give the thumbs up to somebody who has this reason to have a personal vendetta against the IRA. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to ping you on that and hopefully send you somewhere that the IRA is not involved. Well, I'm sort of surprised they would employ Sam Neill and his mustache at all. There's a lot of really interesting hiring choices going on in Britain at this (laughs) time. That's true. Yeah, but he apparently cleaned up Belfast, so... Yeah, because that, you know, honestly, I never heard of a single other problem happening in Belfast after 1920. Mm -hmm. So he's good at his job. Yeah, cleaned it all up. Killian wonders why he should care about this rumor of this theft of uh, machine guns from the BSA proofing bay. 
<laughs> so the men say that they heard some people say that the Peaky Blinders took the guns and that if Killian happened to know where they were, they would pay good money. Killian wants to know who they speak for, and they're like, it's the IRA. Surprise! <laughs> uh, the excitable one asks if Killian thinks they're jokers and then starts singing a rebel song even after uh, his pal and everyone watching asks him to shut up. Yeah, it goes on forever. And I just, you know, singing is a negotiation tactic, not usually very successful. Yeah, and he's like trying to be, you can't sing intimidatingly. No. Like, it's just not. Well, okay, like the fan of the opera, like kind <laughs> of can. And Tom Waits is pretty scary. Yeah, and Nick Cave. No. Okay. Yeah. That's the um, No, Javert in okay. Les Miserables. Right, yeah. He's pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> is he? Is that, is that Sweeney Todd? Oh, my God. Yeah, Sweeney Todd is scary. Yeah, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, that, that's, and that judge. That'll count. That judge yeah. is even scarier than Sweeney Todd. Yeah. All right, fair so, enough. So, Kelly won. Everybody else, negative five. <laughs> well, I will say that the way that the show employs songs is a little bit how, like, Tolkien employs drinking songs in his work. Uh, this really is the Tom Bombadil of scenes. Exactly. <laughs> God, I hate Tom Bombadil. He's the worst. Uh, as is this dude who finishes the song, uh, despite the fact everybody was like, dude, don't finish the song. He was like, oh, I'm going to finish it. Killian says bravo, uh, but then that guy keeps singing as the other two guys head out, and Killian says he will let them know if he hears anything about the guns. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, right. Grace snarks that she thought Killian only allowed singing on Saturdays, and I'm like, Grace, you don't know him well enough to be snarky. Yeah, let it go. Okay? Yeah. Step off, get a new cardigan. Yeah, you'll notice that guy was leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Killian says that whiskey is good for getting the truth out of people, which is true, but I think he also let them drink too much of that whiskey. Because, like, he comes back out and the bottle, which was full, is now down to, like, two gulps. Well, there is also a kind of level of whiskey consumed relates to the amount of singing that happens. That's also <laughs> extremely true. He let them ebb into the singing wheelhouse, and really it's his own fault. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, he got what he wanted out of the, the exchange. The third glass is the singing glass. So. <laughs> Is that a saying? <laughs> Might as well be. <laughs> the fourth glass is the fighting glass. <laughs> we should make a uh, a Celtic-looking bumper sticker that says that and become millionaires. No, I, th- I actually... Let's, yeah. uh, Listen, podcast <laughs> over. We're never coming back. We're heading to the trademark office. and <laughs> So... Grace wants to know what the men wanted, and Killian says that they're nobodies who were only rebels because they like the songs. Uh, okay, that seems like a weird thing to say about people who were, uh, you know, have allegiance to the IRA. Like, yeah. even, you know, the IRA, not super, uh, it's not a real passive organization. <laughs> That's true. Grace then suggests that Killian sympathizes with them. And Killian says, I have no sympathies with anyone. And it was the hottest. <laughs> I was like, why am I not more like him? Why do I always sympathize with things when what I should be doing is tricking drunk people into giving me information? Not everyone deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I, the thing that I love about Killian Murphy is, is that he, he doesn't give anyone. No, he gives <laughs> no one the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. I think more... I don't know. I just think society runs smoother. Yeah. I really think I'm turning into Ayn Rand, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, this just keeps happening. Everyone's a liar. And if you know that, it's excellent. Yeah. Like, it makes everything easier. Uh, at any rate, 
we will discuss all this with my therapist later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Grace uh, then tells him that those guys' accents were so thick that, you know, she was surprised he could understand them, which they were not. Yeah. I was like, like those are the least thick accents on the show. Yeah. So she says she'd be happy to help translate next time, which, no. Like, number one, the accents were fine. Number two, nobody trusts you, Grace. Your backstory doesn't check out. And even though you think you're all chummy, like, you're not. Well, she's, she tries to be chummy, but also has a sourpuss face. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't really work, so it doesn't seem genuine anyway. At the same time, she does, like, four or five moves in this episode of this caliber. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you were the worst spy. She's yeah. such a bad spy. How have you not been killed? Yeah. Yet by the IRA specifically. Yeah. I mean, they they managed to kill your parents. How did you get away? Yeah. I think just her dad. Oh, okay. You know, just fair play to Grace's See, family. Okay. <laughs> criticism of the IRA. Next time, get them all. <laughs> yeah. Solid point. I don't know what Grace's last name actually is, but that whole, you know, sourpuss family. Let's just call her Grace Sourpuss. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> it's like resting sourpuss face. Because <laughs> it's not even bitch face. Like, that suggests... She's just like a, a steely nerve and resolve that she obviously lacks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do not believe this phantom backbone she claims to no. have. <laughs> like dead eyes, sure, but dead eyes do not equal backbone. Yeah, so Killian asks if she would work for him, and she says she thought she was working for him. He says, oh, then you are coming to the races. So then he pulls out the two pounds ten she asked for and tells her to buy something red to match his handkerchief as he leaves. Actually, he means uh, Billy Kimber's handkerchief. Yeah, yeah. Which, and, you know, she, he basically just ignores her question. Uh, There's a lot of that going on with Killian Murphy, but it's a good way to keep, like, the power. I was just talking with a friend of mine from work about negotiation, and she read, like, some, like, douche bro book called, like, Power Negotiation. Mm-hmm. And just the whole thing is just state your demand and say nothing. And make them, like, sit and, like, marinate in your power negotiation. <laughs> so Killian is killing it. Yeah. He's killianing it. <laughs> That's difficult to say. Let's not make that a thing. Good. Uh, some old guy comes up to Grace with an empty pitcher, like, uh, hey, you know, some people still use this pub for drinking themselves to death. Like, quit flirting with old beautiful eyes over there. Yeah, like, I know you're busy spying. Even I, this elderly drunkard, can tell that. <laughs> he is a career drunk, for, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, I, I respect the career drunk. I thought I might go that way yeah. sometime, but... Don't knock no. that line of work. It's good work if you can get it. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> I think especially in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, that's my understanding. Well, that was what what Lee oh, was right, saying yeah. last week, is that that's exactly what it is, so. Then we get a little fancy montage of Terrible Hat smoking and Ada running around in a wedding dress. Mm. Uh, so she runs up to, to Terrible Hat and says that she dared herself to run through their territory wearing the dress. And what made me sad about that is that that probably isn't the dumbest thing she's ever done. Uh, I think the dumbest thing she's ever done was, one, get pregnant. Yeah. Two, leave her iron tablet prescription in Freddie Thorne's squat. Yeah. Actually, I would backtrack and say sleeping with Freddie Thorne was not necessarily Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Good I point. Mean, I mean, Repeatedly. That's... The first time I get it. <laughs> right. But, like, eight or nine when you're in that mud coat, like, that mud pit they're in. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. Nice dress, though. Yeah, oh, It's yeah. a really nice wedding dress for what I can only assume is a very sparsely attended wedding. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, usually when people elope, Ada, they just wear, like, a nice suit. 
Well, yeah, and when he talks about loving her, he said, you know, I've loved her since, you know, she was not nine and I was 12. And I think she has stayed nine somehow. Yeah. I think that's a really solid assessment. She's kind of the manic pixie dream idiot. Yeah. And it's, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't translate well when you have fucking wars going on and stuff. And a baby on the way. Yeah, yuck. Like, nobody wants to see a manic pixie dream girl have a baby. No. You know? <laughs> manic pixie dream milf. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> Okay, that <laughs> broke my nervous system. <laughs> anyway, Freddie says he loves Ada with all his hat. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I stepped on your joke. It's all right. It's a really funny joke. <laughs> Just thought of it. Uh, so they kiss. She says that the more that they try and stop them from getting married, the matter she'll be. You know, they're not trying to stop them anymore. They just want them to leave. Yeah. They're like, do whatever you want. Just bail. And well, bail and it's hard. Just like, I think she's getting off on this whole, like, flouting her family's approval. Oh, yeah. Like, a little bit too much. Right. I don't understand why they don't want to leave. Like, frankly, I, as much as Killian Murphy's, you know, blue, beautiful eyes are enough to stay, there's not a whole lot else going into town. Right. Well, if you're related to those eyes, they're wasted on you. Yeah, You exactly. know, it's not like, you know, she doesn't want to hook up with him. It's her brother. Right. So just take this horrible hat and leave. <laughs> anyway, she asks how she looks. He says she looks like an angel, and they head off to the vicar. Uh, question, Lauren. If a guy told you that you looked like an angel, would you take that as a romantic or sexual compliment? Well, no, because from what I understand, angels don't have genitals. Right? So that's like saying, oh, you're gorgeous like a Ken doll. Mm. Well, you know, you are. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been waiting my whole life to hear that. Only rivaled by the compliment you're voluptuous like Ava Braun. Well, and you've already had that one, so now, you know, bucket list done. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? I'll have a glass of scotch and Irish. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to run down the pub. Uh, yeah, I um, I mean, granted, at this time, you know, Angel, like, they didn't have Urban Dictionary. So, like, vaguely religious. They're vaguely Catholic, tangentially yeah. so. No, I mean, they're, 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 they're very Catholic. Catholic. I mean, yeah. organized I mean, crime and Catholicism have never been mutually exclusive. Yeah, True. not like, at all. Like, that's how you get stained glass windows. Sure. Yeah. Did but you I, not watch season two of The Wire? Good point. Anyway. But what I've noticed in, like, because, like, Tommy is, like, I don't do religion. Like, there's a lot of the men definitely. Mm-hmm. That's probably a. World War well, oh yeah, thing. it's definitely a World War One thing. Well, yeah. and a World War Two thing. Although I think you don't. I don't know. I've never seen it as much in culture, and that may just be because we've been on a World War One bender yeah. for the past like <laughs> two two and a half years. But I feel like atheism was a much stronger side effect of World War One than World War Two. Yeah, but well, maybe I think not. I don't know. I, I think but it may French have been warfare, like. Yeah. Well, I think more so World War Two was awful and it was worse than World War One in ways that we forget because it was largely in Eastern Europe that it was mm-hmm. so terrible. But it didn't like people knew that such terrible things could happen at that point because World War One had already happened. That's true. So it wasn't like such a shock the way World uh-huh. War One was. Well, you don't hear about shell shock in World War Two. Yeah. I just, I can't think of having heard of that discussed no, that much. No, they start using that kind of coded frame of having been in the war. And yeah. that carries on through, like, Vietnam and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really invent PTSD until, like, post-Gulf War number one. Yeah. At least in the in the common right, parlance, in terms of, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure medical professionals came up with it in, like, 1975 while they were on acid. Right. Yeah. 
Well, it was that uh, it was that same Hawaii conference where they uh, took homosexuality out of the DSM. Yeah, but didn't tip off you know culture, right? Uh, you know, it's on us to read the DSMV. I suppose that's, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's their attitude. <laughs> Sam Neal peruses a strip of paper in his office as somebody knocks and enters. I think he's going to make a paper mache pinata later. <laughs> Sam- oh, Tommy Shelby. <laughs> Inside this pinata are the guns. <laughs> and I will not rest <laughs> until all the Toblerones are in it as well. Nobody puts Toblerone inside of a pinata. I do. <laughs> this isn't bloody Belfast. <laughs> What's Northern Irish candy? Rocks, I think. <laughs> nah, something orange. You know? Yeah. Uh, was Those it chocolate Terry oranges? Cho- Terry's chocolate yeah, oranges. Okay, yeah. official candy of Northern Ireland. We've decided. Uh, <laughs> apologies to Northern Ireland. No, we're really sorry. Um... Sam Neill wants to know what uh, this guy knows about the Black Swan, which is where the IRA dr- guys drink. And Moss, who is the guy. Right. Moss says that it's just a bunch of drunken navigators. But Sam Neill says his operative says two of them are trying to buy guns. Moss asks for their names. And Sam Neill asks if she must do everything for him. Uh, and he says that one female operative has proved more useful than any of you. Great lumps of men. Moss says they're policemen, not spies, <laughs> and suggests uh, sending some men to the Black Swan to ask questions. And Sam Neill does correctly, you know, credit where credit's due, Sam Neill. Like, yeah. he didn't get where he is by being a complete idiot. Yeah, he's nowhere near as terrible at his job as Grace. No. Yeah. Uh, not saying much. Well, right. I don't, he's pretty, he's okay. Yeah, I think he's he's solid. It's mostly his accent that I take issue <laughs> with. And his speechifying. Yeah. Uh, so Samuel points out that that would scare the men at the Black Swan into hiding. Moss says that he'll have to excuse him because his experience comes from his time in France, where most of his great lumps of men served as well. Okay. <laughs> and Sam Neal finally hits back because he's, you know, in a position with a subordinate, you know, and so he's kind of safe. He says, I serve my country every day. And then... Tells him to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And I mean, you feel for Sam Neill to an extent, if that were possible, just because it's not like he he was told not to. He mm-hmm. was told that his profession was needed at home and he was, you know, he probably wasn't even allowed to volunteer. So, yeah. like, you know, it's not his fault that he didn't serve there. I will say that this show, which I've admired, I think more so than I'd say in probably something like Downton Abbey, and that's probably the classes that you're looking at, mm-hmm. has done a really good job of personifying World War One mm-hmm. and really kind of diving into the, the effects and how much of it a cultural permeation it is. I mean, we've lost count of the shows at this point and the movies that do a better job depicting World War One, and it's fallen <laughs> than Downton Abbey. Fair point. <laughs> Downton Abbey was like, there was World War One, and it was all about us. Yeah. There's a lot of hand-wringing in Downton Abbey, whereas here they have to make shit happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, you know, they're so protected in their beautiful country estate, and they're They're insulated. I mean, the men, you know, they were a convalescence home. They weren't getting people with shredded limbs, you know, coming in direct off the battlefield, you know, or even direct out of, you know, the hospitals in Europe. I mean, they were several degrees removed from what was actually happening. And you look at, you know, nobody's going to give Lord Grantham shit for not fighting because he was like an old dude. Right. Yeah. But like Sam Neill was also, I, he's probably about the same age as Lord Grantham. 
I mean, he looks about looks, the same mm-hmm. age. Yeah. yeah, I think he's sort of supposed to be in between, though. I mean, he clearly doesn't have a wife or kids. Yeah, and that's right. kind of the big thing. True, and I mean, and Lord Grantham just isn't. You know, he's just not a fighting guy. Yeah. No, he's a hand ringer. Yeah. Born and bred. <laughs> Despite I don't know being, what you think the House of Lords is for, Lauren. <laughs> Despite, in fact, being a military veteran. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, never mind then. I don't know. We can uh, we can write an essay about this later. <laughs> Perhaps so. At the Black Swan, which is not very fancy at all, by the way. It's just like a board on a house that has the Black Swan written on it. It was perfect. <laughs> Uh, so the excitable singing guy drunkenly stumbles out and about. He's super drunk, and it is daytime. Uh, Grace follows him as he leans up against a wall to take a piss, but then is startled by a dog, so he heads <laughs> off elsewhere. Which he says, away and shite. Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, or I mean, was that two unconnected thoughts that he just slurred together? I think that that's what dogs do. You know, they go away and then they shite. Like, that's... Fair enough. <laughs> Grace continues to follow after him, but he ambushes her and shoves her against a wall, says he's seen her face at the garrison, and puts a gun up to her head, says that he's taking her in for interrogation. Uh, they struggle, the gun goes off, and the guy falls down dead. I don't think it's his gun. She has a gun in her handbag. But I, f- I thought when he shoved her against the wall, I mean, maybe he just, if he, he must have, yeah, I don't know. I thought he had one. I don't think he did. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't give... I thought he was just going to rape her. Yeah, I kind of got the rapey impression, but I also don't give Grace a lot of credit here because shooting a drunk man is so easy. Uh, also, uh, I don't give her a lot of credit because much like your point about Freddie Thorne, uh, why is she there in the first place? I know. Yeah. Like, doy. Yeah. You are now compromising the mission more than this idiot policeman could have dreamed of. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, he never even she... would have been able to come up with this plan. Why is she reaching out? You are... Focus on your undercover identity. Your here. undercover, yeah. like, You mission... did your job. You reported the intel you got. Yeah, go sing to some drunks or your something. Your whole point <laughs> is to get as close to Killian Murphy as possible, not any IRA operatives who happen to wander in. That's yeah. right. You were specifically told it was, like, the beginning and end of your mission was uh, Thomas Shelby. Yeah, so slob that knob or shut the fuck <laughs> up. She's easily distracted. I just... I... That was a very manly thing to say. Thank you. <laughs> I am a manly lady. <laughs> She also, just doesn't have what it takes it on the force, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She never would have made it in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> <laughs> Samuel's getting too old for this shit. <laughs> Back at home, uh, Killian comes in and Paul asks if he's armed and he says no. Paul says that he can tell him then that Ada married Terrible Hat without leaving the city. Killian sighs and Paul says she'll deal with it. I'm beginning to not believe her, guys. Right. I don't think she gets results. Um, but Killian wants to know where they are, and then Paul asks why, and he says, why do you think? To send them flowers. <laughs> uh, she asks if it would be so bad if they stayed, but Killian says he promised he would run Terrible Hat out of town. Paul asks who he promised that to, uh, and then once she closes the door, once again, they keep having these like very sensitive conversations without doing this first. I know. No. So I guess, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, give Grace so much shit. Maybe. <laughs> Except we're going to keep doing yeah, it. That's yeah. not going to stop. Uh, oh, you know, this episode has no Grace singing in it, though. Oh. So, uh, oh, thank, nice break. thank yeah. heaven for small blessings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Killian says that he promised the coppers that he'd keep Terrible Hat out of Birmingham as part of the deal. 
Paul asks what happened to family votes and what happened to meetings. She says that if he lets her deal with this, it'll end in peace. And Killian's had his fill of war. And then Killian acquiesces and tells her to get Terrible Hat out of town or he'll deal with it himself. I'm kind of like, maybe you should just deal with it yourself. Because... Why why haven't we volunteered to shoot this guy yet? I don't know. Why doesn't he just... Because then they would have to deal with Ada bitching about it for the next 20 years... Oh, she That's true. She'd never let it go. Yeah. Either. Also, let's not forget, it's Freddy fucking Thorne. <laughs> yeah, your best mate since school. The man who saved your life in France. I am a little sketchy on that, because I've seen that, that memory replay a lot, and I have not been able to parse when he actually did that. The lighting is really bad in those scenes. Like, And I know it's in part to disguise the fact that like they did not go all out on these tunnels mm-hmm. but like you know like i'm not asking for charles bronson okay like i'm asking for just like i'm asking for charles bronson well he's dead <laughs> so i'm afraid you can't have him bummer at what i assume is grace's home we see grace drinking some liquor and then vomiting so she's not handling this super well uh, she has blood on her hands, I guess. It looked at first like it was implying that she had vomited blood. I agree. It's not that well. Anytime they try to do that, like, Vaseline lens, like, mm. jerky thing, it just doesn't serve them well. And that's all the cinematography in the tunnels. Like, yeah. And that's part of the problem is that it's just like, I don't know. It's very hard to tell who's who in those scenes. Yeah. But in the tunnels, people get stabbed and Grace didn't get stabbed here. No, unfortunately. Right. Although I was, I was going to like write some stuff down about how she can't handle it. Th- but I, you know, I've never killed anybody. No. I actually, have to assume that even if you're a spy, the first time you kill somebody has got to be uh, kind of a mind fuck. First yeah. 40 or 50. <laughs> yeah for sure well and, and she does do something well especially because she it's not like she set out to kill this guy it wasn't right. planned in any yeah, way she got attacked it's also really not idiot. clear what she set it to do in the first place but well right so yeah so her intentions were vague and then it kind of backfired and she does do some things in regards to when it comes to violence against other people that i find very earnest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she looks at her red dress and is like well i killed a guy but i got this free dress so after, shake, a, after shaking down a criminal boss. <laughs> right. Look, I mean, she's doing well, you know, in terms of uh, getting her stock to rise. So, no. Sam Neill paces his office as Moss describes the murder, uh, and apparently a neighbor saw a young woman leaving the scene. Moss wonders if there's a connection with Sam Neill's female spy. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and if there's no a shoot to kill policy like in Belfast. Sam Neill says the Republicans are famously factional, and he was killed by one, then that this guy was killed by one of his own, not anybody involved in their operation. And how dare you suggest such a thing? <laughs> uh, he dismisses Moss and then adds that they are called operatives, not spies. So, na 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 na. Yeah. Which is a little bit like saying you use the wrong form of there in that sentence on the internet. <laughs> yeah, or like getting mad at somebody for anything in a comic book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I would also add, I meant to say earlier, that Moss can be described as a great lump of a man. Like, physically. Oh, yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah, he's pit definitely... <laughs> yeah. No. They're, yeah. He's very... Uh, he's lumpy. <laughs> uh, so, in some shithole... Uh, <laughs> Paul is waiting as Terrible Hat and Ada arrive. Terrible Hat asks what she's doing there. And Paul hands him 200 pounds. Ada says that it is for a honeymoon that goes on forever. Which, hey, communist, grab it. Go. <laughs> like, leave your principles at the door. That's our answer to everything. I know. <laughs> 
Terrible Hat asks where the money came from. Paul says, family fund. And he says, oh, pockets of widows and desperate men. I'm so sick of his anti-gambling stance. Like, okay, I'll grant you, I don't like gambling. I don't see the appeal. And people who are addicted to gambling are really sad. I'd rather just buy shit I don't need. Right? But like, I just, you know, look, man, people love to gamble. And you can't regulate pleasure. Yeah, let's, I mean, hey, communists, let's focus on the class struggle mm-hmm. and, you know, shut up. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. I feel like that should be a so, like the next great socialist test. <laughs> focus on the class struggle and shut up. <laughs> That's, that is sort of my response to everything that Freddie thought. I'm just always like, look, shut up, Freddie. <laughs> everything. Ada asks him to see sense, and Paul says that Killian's not going to let this rest. Terrible Hat is at, says, oh, you think I can't handle him? And Paul instantly replies, you can't. I am having trouble these days, and I'm twice the man you are. Boom! Boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aunt Paul, manliest person on this show. I think, you know, we don't see her, like, using uh, substances like we see Killian to cope. That's a good point. She's uh, she's pretty level-headed. Her yeah. comebacks are always on point, too. That's true. Yeah. She's super solid. I think it. she honed her witticisms during the war. While the boys were away, there wasn't anybody to, like, shit on her, so she was able to, like, really work it. Yeah. And, she, I mean, she's been running this entire family without them for five years mm-hmm. and doing a decent enough job that they've been able to pull all this shit off. Yeah. 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 Paul says that she has booked them both tickets to New York, and Ada says, they've already had the revolution, so you won't have to bother. (laughs) Which, I fucking love Ada for her just, her goddamn idiocy. Like, oh my god. That's like saying that about France. Like, (laughs) They don't need to do anything anymore. Terrible Hat asks if they'll at least let him sleep on it, and Paul glares at him as she leaves. She should say no. Like, look, and this is where she's failing as the diplomat here. And the power negotiator. Yeah. She is not negotiating powerfully. She needs to say, you need to go right now, or there's going to be a bullet in your head tomorrow. And granted, he still might call the bluff, but then at least Paul did everything she could. Yeah. No, I think he would be dumb enough to do that. I think that would not... He'd be like, let them come like an idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're right, but... He's like the Mr. Grove of this show somehow. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. If it's only because we find him sexually repugnant uh, or that he's ruining a woman's life for no discernible (laughs) reason. Yeah. Like, what is his plan of action here? What is actually motivating this guy? Yeah, well, because, I mean, we see him, like, organizing, but I feel like he only organizes when he feels like it, you know? Like, I don't feel like he's super, like, down with the cause. Yeah. It's hard to say. We don't get to see a lot of that, so. Right. Grace walks into some fancy building, which turns out to be that museum from before. Uh, Sam Neill walks up to her and says, you had no business. Your job is to observe and report. Grace says she wanted to know where this guy lived. So, was it at the Black Swan? Yeah, I, there was a, the oh, sign okay, said cool. Black Swan, yeah. Sam Neill says he warned her not to let her personal history cloud her judgment. Again, this really seems like something a superior ranking officer without a personal connection to her family uh, should be handling. Yeah. yeah, well, and it also, to Lauren's point, seems like something that was decided in the writer's room, but never, like, they decided she has this history, but never actually, yeah. like... Thought about how that would really look. Yeah, it's yeah. very much telling, not showing. Yeah. Well, and it's like, look, you know, if she's supposedly intelligent enough to be in intelligence, she should know the value of the long con. Like, this guy is not 
anything important to the IRA. Like, yeah. you know, I think Killian and everybody else is downplaying what's going on at the Black Swan, but... Which kind of makes me feel like her entire vehicle is to put Sam Neill in a place where he's losing it. Where it's, she's the demonstration of how he's losing control of his plot. Mm-hmm. And a, an opportunity for him to mansplain and give many monologues. And <laughs> I just... I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Before last night's bear turns to piss and wakes the devils up. Yeah, it's like he's giving all the war speeches without having been to a war. Like, well, well you know, he's got to yeah. scratch that itch, man. Yeah, Some people do community theater. He does this. <laughs> At any rate, he says that according to the rules, he should pull her out immediately. And Grace says he can't because Cheltenham is the following day. And then it's an active military mission and she's doing her job. <laughs> Samuel says that the death of a base Fenian doesn't bother him, but her welfare does. And killing a man affects the heart. Which, okay, sure. Grace says that she knows that because of their family connections, he takes her progress personally, but she doesn't need him to be her father. Uh, Yeah. So I guess this is the exposition museum here. Thank you very much. Anyway, they hold hands weirdly, and she leaves. Yeah. Hopefully never to hold his hand again. <laughs> Yikes. I can't see Sam Neill as a sexual entity at all on the show. Yeah. I can't see well, Sam Neill as a sexual entity in anything ever. Right. True. I mean, I loved him in Sirens, even when he stood there in that stupid wrinkled linen suit, and it was the most wrinkled, and I loved him through it. But I cannot <laughs> love him through this. That's fine. Well, it also just occurred to me that... that what we see, like in this, in all his relationship with Grace, is that he's the only character on this show that's still a Victorian. Mm, that is a really astute point. Yeah. Him and that museum, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's a super Victorian museum. Yeah. That's very true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing funny here, kids. <laughs> Just uh, excellent critical analysis. <laughs> yes. Boom. Killian walks through the Chinese market from the opening of the series and greets a Mr. Zhang. He looks at a suit with a name tag saying Kimber, and Zhang tells him that it's already been sold. Killian says he knows that. And then Zhang shoos everybody out of the market because he sees Billy Kimber walking in. Uh, he asks the two of them not to fight in there, but Killian says that he comes in as a friend, and Zhang realizes that either they're going to fight or they're not, but he's going to get out of there. Good, good choice, Zhang. Yeah. He, uh, Killian compliments Billy on the suit. Billy asks how he knows that he had bought that suit, and Killian says that he knows a lot of things, uh, which is, that's pretty impressive. Just to, you know, have that, uh, show up somewhere Billy Kimber didn't expect him. Mm-hmm. That's some power negotiating. That's also true. Mm-hmm. Also convincing him that he has some sort of suit psychic power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wherever your suit goes, I will follow. <laughs> Sartorial pre-cut, like, pre-connection. <laughs> Uh, one of the things Killian knows is that the Lee brothers will be at Cheltenham. Billy says, uh, yeah, they will, and they're going to lose a lot of money to him. But Killian says no, that they will be coming in numbers to rob Kimber's bookies. Billy asks if Killian thinks that he can't handle the Lees, and Killian says just a word of warning and says that he'll see him at Cheltenham as he starts to head out. Billy says that he'll wave at Killian from his box, and to bring his pretty barmaid, Killian says that she's already invited. Uh, nicely done, Killian. Yeah. Anticipating Billy Kimber's every whimper. <laughs> At the BSA, Terrible Hat gives a speech saying that their gathering is illegal because Sam Neill has banned assembling in groups of three or more people. And he asks them all to clump together in groups of three. They all laugh and laugh, but then they hear police whistles. Terrible Hat points out that those are the same whistles that they would blow to send them over the top in France. So before the coppers get there, raise a hand if they want to strike. Uh, didn't they already do this? I thought they, they voted to strike in that first, strike? but I don't know. 
go on strike, uh, way more guns are going to get stolen out of that proofing bay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so everybody votes yes, and Terrible Hat tells them to disperse and spread the word. Great. No one cares. Mm-hmm. You're not Billy Kimber. <laughs> so in the street, a bunch of people shouting about the strike run past Killian, who is, uh, you know, not thrilled, as you would imagine. He sees Mumper and asks what's up. He says that the police raided a rally at the BSA. Killian confirms that, yes, Terrible Hat is back and with Ada and asks how hard it can be for them to find the only girl in Birmingham with four-inch heels. <laughs> She's so vain. <laughs> She probably thinks this strike is about her. Oh, I'm sure she does. Mumper says that she's with the commies and they have rat holes all over, and also says that Killian should have a word with Arthur, who has the Flanders blues again. And not the Ned variety. <laughs> the field variety. I, I feel a lot for Arthur, which is sort of interesting, because he's a kind of a thoroughly unlikable character. Yeah, but... And I think you got to give the actor credit, too, because, I mean... he. He plays the sort of position of having been in charge and having been kind of shoved out and knowing that he kind of deserves it. Yeah, it's it's got to be very upsetting for him. So it's like he's he's not handling the transition from back from war very well. Right. He knows that he's not he's he's very much identifies with being in the Peaky Blinders and is kind of the the rallying cry. But he knows that he's not really good enough to run it. And he's getting more, like, his role is down, being downsized, and he knows it. So this is even more of his identity that's kind of been taking away, taken away from him. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, he's a loud, rowdy drunk. Yeah. And so people don't like him because he's a loud, rowdy drunk. And so, yeah, I, I feel for Arthur. I don't want to hang out with him. <laughs> right. Um, I'm all set. But you, you want him to be okay. And he's the one who's actually pulling off uh, Freddie's terrible haircut. <laughs> That's true. He yeah. does. He looks sharp. Yeah. Not an attractive guy, but he looks sharp. It's because he doesn't have that part in the middle. Yeah. 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 Middle part, never a good choice. Yeah. And yet it persists to this day. People people doing it. Everyone just let it go. <laughs> yeah. Asymmetry is where it's at for hair. Definitely. Killian walks into the church where Arthur is kneeling at a pew and Killian sits down next to him and Arthur monologues that people keep asking him questions he can't answer, such as, is it true your Ada got married? Who killed the patty from the black swan? And is it you peaky blinders who stole the guns? Arthur wants to know what guns. And Killian says that he thought that Arthur needed a break after his beating at the hands of Sam Neill and his specials and that he was going to tell him, totally going to tell you. Uh, but he grabs Arthur's hands and says that he's had a hard time in the last few years and deserves some rest. He tells Arthur that they had some luck and it fell into their laps and all he needs to know that it's us that have the machine guns now and it's them that's in the mud. So, uh, yeah, man, that's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. Get yourself some machine guns, people, and you're going to feel a lot better. <laughs> he gets up and he says he has a surprise for Arthur and fast blues rock music kicks in with a vocalist, although it's unclear... That Who is actually is. the caption for the closed caption, yeah. Yeah. which is pretty oh, We hilarious. make much of the, of the closed <laughs> captions on the songs for this show. Yeah. So Arthur and Killian walk into the garrison. Arthur asks where his surprise is. And Killian asks what Arthur has always wanted and how in France he would always say, when I get back to England, I want to own my own pub. Arthur smiles, tells Tommy he's gone soft, and asks how they know it's for sale. And Killian is like, duh, everything's for sale to them. And anyway, they need a legitimate business for money laundering purposes. Arthur says he wouldn't know what to do. And Killian says that he's been in a pub for two-thirds of his life. Just pour it instead of drink it. (laughs) Arthur says, but I can still drink it, right? Killian says it's his pub. 
Uh, Harry comes in and asks what he can get them. Uh, the whole pub, please. <laughs> Which yeah. I thought they already de facto owned. Right. I kind of got that impression, too. Which is, I mean, I think, yeah. But yeah, Arthur, like, I think this speaks to how well Arthur is going to manage this pub and that he's getting, basically, he's just been coddled like a child in a church about what about guns oh i was gonna tell you and then i'm Mm -hmm. not gonna explain it at all but here have a pub that you clearly can't run yeah Yeah. but you know they don't need a well-run pub it's a money laundering situation yeah i mean not to like uh, discredit anybody who actually manages a real pub but arthur would clearly not be doing it he would actually just be pouring booze (laughs) yeah the fast blues rock music kicks back in as we see Killian's feet walking toward a car tire, which is flat. Moss walks up and says, bloody kids seem to have punctured the tires, which I am skeptical about. Well, yeah. I just don't think... I think kids know not to fuck with the Peaky Blinders. Right. I think I think Moss clearly did it yeah. and is not pretending that he didn't, really. Why is everyone comfortable fucking with people who have razor blades sewn into their hats? Well, I mean, Moss is on the police, you That's know. True. And is he on their take? Oh, good question. I think he might have been. I don't know if he is anymore. It's so hard to tell. They kind of volley back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. At any rate, he says that Sam Neill wants an explanation uh, as to why Freddie Thorne has not been run out of town uh, since he just brought them uh, the BSA out on strike, uh, which is not what Killian promised Sam Neill would happen. Yeah. They were sort of hoping that the opposite of that would yes. happen. Yes. Uh, Killian says he knows that Terrible Hats in town and he will deal with it. Uh, starting to sound like Aunt Paul here. Yeah. I'm just saying, uh, yeah. get your shit together. Moss says he, Sam Neill thought that Killian controlled his territories, and Killian reiterates that he's dealing with the situation. Moss then says he heard that Terrible Hat married his sister, and he bets Killian can't wait for Christmas. <laughs> Which, you know, fair play, Moss. No, that was You're that doing was, all right. That was solid. He says that Killian needs to deliver Terrible Hat or they'll take Ada in as an accomplice and give her four years for sedition. And they stare at each other for a few beats and then Moss heads off. His work is done. Now, I wouldn't actually pay money to see Ada in Orange is the New Black. <laughs> in, a, in a Birmingham version. Yeah. Do well, they have female She would definitely be the Piper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, she would totally be the Piper. They've got female prisons as long as there have been females people have wanted to imprison. Yeah. Uh, so the next, next we've got some crosscut scenes here. So we've got Ada running through the street and into the garrison. We see Killian sitting by the canal as a gun is put to his head. Ada asks Grace if she has seen Terrible Hat or Killian, and we see that the gun at Killian's head is being held by Terrible Hat. Bad move. <laughs> yeah. Just, he's as bright as she is. Don't parlay when you're on the back foot. <laughs> yeah. Grace gives Ada a drink, but she says that she has to find them before they kill each other. <laughs> Only one person's walking away from that one. Grace asks who, and we see Killian saying that they need to talk and asking Terrible Hat what he wants. Terrible Hat puts the money and the boat tickets on the ground and says that he came to Killian to tell Killian that that won't work. Killian says that Polly must have had a rush of blood or port wine, and that Terrible Hat's honesty Does is he appreciated. Mean she said she was on her period. Like, I don't know what that means, a rush th- of blood. I thought it meant, like, you know, a rush of blood to the head, like, just being, like... Giddy. Giddy, yeah. Over the secret wedding. <laughs> you know nobody's, how girls are. Nobody's ever giddy over a secret wedding. Everybody's just like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> he says the Terrible Hat's honesty is appreciated, but that if he's not going to use that gun... But Terrible Hat says that he's not finished and tells Killian to sit down. He asks Killian to tell him about the guns... Killian starts talking about how they used to try to swim across the canal when they were kids. Terrible Hat says that he's there to talk business. 
Killing asks if he reckons they could still make it across the canal. Terrible Hat glances at the canal for a second, and Killian knocks him down and pulls out his own gun. And this is, again, the lesson to everybody. If you've got a gun pointed at somebody, stay out of arm's reach. It's Uh, not, you can still hit them from there. Also, just shoot somebody? Like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of patience for people who use guns as threats. Like... I mean that in terms of like fictional <laughs> yes, yes. things. Anyway, but I mean, you know, if your point is that you're going to shoot somebody, shoot them, which Killian basically points out here. But it's just like, don't come at, this doesn't make anybody think that you're negotiating from any stronger of a position than you would have been without the gun. And Freddie Thorne here is a uh, bad, terrible hat and aw- equally awful haircut. Uh, he also is doing the gun equivalent of when people are eating in a dinner scene and they're always about to take a bite and then deliver. He's always yeah. about to shoot and then doesn't. Yeah. And it, just a rookie mistake. Mm-hmm. I just... And Look, also, I thought you were a communist, dude. Also, if he kills Tommy, nothing is solved. Mm-hmm. Nothing is figured out. His life is actually... All that's going to happen is that he's going to get killed, probably by Arthur and Mumper. Yeah. And, and not not like quickly either. Uh-uh. Like they'll be pissed. I mean, John will just stand there and watch and cry, but whatever. Well, the thing that here's what's so weird, really, about Freddie Thorne is that he doesn't have a power base. We never see it, and he ought to. Like he ought to have muscle at his command, you know, of some variety. Yeah. All we ever hear about is all of these, you know, safe houses. But your safe houses aren't the same as your muscle because you can't keep those in the same place. Right. Yeah, it's essentially retreating is, is the level of like winning and it doesn't work here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have a standoff for a few seconds and Killian tells Terrible Hat that he, quote, loaded Ada with his bastard because he thought it meant that he would then be somebody. But Killian is not going to let him fuck up Ada's life or his cause. Terrible Hat drops his gun and says that Killian actually believes that. He says that he loves Ada and has since she was nine and he was 12, and she loves him the same. Eh. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Could she really feel love? (laughs) I think she mostly feels inconvenience and satisfaction. Right. Yeah. She feels, you know, want and frustration, and that's it. She's sort of like Tinkerbell in that she can only feel one thing at a time. Yeah. (laughs) He asks if Killian knows the word. Uh, Killian just says, this marriage will not stand. <laughs> this marriage will not stand, man. Yeah, and I also do think that it's a weak choice on the writer's part to have Killian really think this. Because he does really think that Freddie Thorne has taken up with Ada to somehow have access to the Shelby Millions. Right. When it's, you know, he's never expressed even the slightest interest in their money. Well, he, he does at one point say something about having access to the weapons, which is I actually thought was a fairer analysis. Yeah, but I'm saying we never see Freddy say that. Oh, no, no. Freddy yeah. basically, like, when it comes to strategy, Freddy is the worst. And, you know, I also continue to not have any sense of these two as being best friends at any point. Ever, yeah. No, like, I'm like, I do not see any history here. I do not see him. I do not believe this swimming across the canal story. (laughs) Do you think Freddy was just, like, sitting there going, when did we do that? (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's why he dropped his gun. He was like, wait a second. Ah, damn it. (laughs) I fell for the old canal trick again. Back home. Mm. Killian walks in and Paul shushes him because she's holding a sleeping Finn. 
Well, and like, I'm like, oh, okay, now somebody's taking care of this kid. I just assume he's been out just, you know, running fair. Like, you are going to be using him in your criminal enterprise as soon as you're capable, right? Yeah. So. Killian sits down and has a drink and then pulls out the money and tells her that Terrible Hat didn't want it. And now the cops are saying that they will arrest Ada as well. He says from now on, they do it his way. Paul says, or what? Once again, master negotiator Killian gets up and walks out. Well, I mean, Killian has a policy of not answering dumb questions. Yeah. And he does not suffer fools. A thing I deeply appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His time is valuable. Again, I just kind of, I just want to like write like the Peaky Blinders Guide to Life. You know, <laughs> like, don't do the, way to the violent parts, but all the other parts are applicable in contemporary society. Yeah. I mean, and, honestly, the violent parts are too, just depending on your milieu. <laughs> and I mean, if you really look at them, they're a bunch of like skinny Irish lads that mm-hmm. have managed to intimidate an entire town. Yeah. Like, good job. Well, and I yeah. was talking to a friend of mine about the show and she was just saying like, oh, like they're just too pretty. She's like, I just don't believe that they're, you know, I'm like, but that's, the, you're right. But like also, they're it's pretty. kind of the misdirection. I mean, I get your point, but honestly, I don't, I mean, Killian's the only pretty one to me. Like, yeah. look at, you know. I think Mump, has got a Yeah, Mumper is reasonably attractive. All right. Well, you don't like men. No, I don't. So, you defer know. Defer to our judgment. I, d- I will defer to your judgment. Uh, I, I just never would have thought that. much going to be much more of a problem later. In terms of attractiveness? Yeah. Uh, but, you know. I don't know. Aunt Polly scares the shit out of me. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. Got her on her side. She was wearing at some point this really weird dress and it, the way her hair was, like it almost looked like she had pigtails, but she, I mean, obviously oh. she didn't, but she yeah, was. Yeah, the outfit I think in the scene where she tells him that Ada got married, she looked like Annie Hall. <laughs> yeah. She, she does, had like a necktie. Thing. Yeah, yeah. She's an interesting like veil hat interchange a little later in the series that is, um, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. We'll be on the lookout yes. for her headwear. Guess what, everybody? It's opium flashback time. Woo! Yeah. No. <laughs> we, I feel like one of these was enough. This is not how opium works. I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel like they could break up with this if they really wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, we see there's this whole scene of uh, past Killian having a fight in some tunnels with Danny and Terrible Hat. Uh, and hearing digging sounds from the walls and a bunch of Germans like punching through the wall and all fighting hand to hand. And then Killian wakes up to somebody knocking on his door, so he stashes the opium pipe under his pillow. Uh, it says the door's open, and it's Danny Whizbang. Hey! Yeah. Remember him? He didn't die. Nope. He uh, salutes and says, Private Whizbang reporting, and they sit down. Danny reports that he was in an Irish pub in London, and he heard that an IRA man got shot in Birmingham, and their high command believed that to be the Peaky Blinders that shot him. He asks if that is true. Killian says that no, but lies travel faster than the truth. He tells Danny to get a message to the IRA to send someone to parlay because they didn't do it and they don't want any trouble. Danny says that Killian's got enough trouble with the whiskey and the smoke so that shoving the opium under the pillow ruse was not a success. Uh, opium has a very distinctive smell that does linger. It will cling to the bedclothes. So, you know. Yeah. This is another tip like from Peaky Blinders. It smells like Fruity Pebbles, uh, <laughs> but they would have had no frame of reference for that. No, but, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere an opium addled, you know, General Mills or whatever was inventing Fruity Pebbles even then. <laughs> Danny says that he uses opium sometimes himself. He calls it his sweetheart. He says that they gave them the worst job in the war, and Killian adds that they volunteered for it, and that sometimes it lasts all night, and he lies there listening to the picks and shovels in the wall and prays that the sun will, 
that the sun will come up before they break through. Then he corrects himself and he says that he doesn't pray, he hopes, and mostly it does not, in fact, come true. I kind of want to talk about Danny Wisbang because... Let's do it. I think he's very, like, he's, like, weirdly attractive to me and I can't quite figure out why. That's probably unrelated to what you were going to (laughs) say. Right. Well, because we're all comparing everything to Freddie Thorne and going, ugh. (laughs) I wonder if they really intentionally made the communists look as much like a rodent as possible. It's a, you know, not out of the question. I think... Well, he does live in rat holes, so... Yeah, well, I don't imagine that Steve Knight is uh, super (laughs) uh, leftist in his politics. That's true. But Danny Wisbang, like... How can he manage anything? How close is London to Birmingham? With, like the travel time, it's I feel not like that far. I mean, it's Birmingham England. is south of England, isn't it? It's it's uh, Birmingham is on the Welsh border, so sort of like Wales kind of sticks out of uh, the Isle of Great Britain, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of the northern indentation is where Liverpool is, and the southern indentation indentation is where Birmingham is. Okay, got it. So, but I still think it would be a little bit of a, a time consum- like consuming to travel there. And, like, how can he be good for intelligence on anything? I just, I feel like this was a very risky move. And I understand not wanting to kill your friend, especially someone who is suffering from such incredibly profound PTSD. And I think that they did kind of a good job to keep him, at least, mm-hmm. that way. Um, but I feel like this is just some misplaced trust here. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I, and I guess... The question is, what other assets, if any, do they have in London to, like, keep an eye on him? Right. Yeah, sometimes you have to deal with, you know, the employees you have, not the employees you want. Well, True. Right. So, yeah. So, sending him off to London was sort of interesting because like, he's not stabbing people there. Like, I don't know. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that is the question. But apparently not. Hmm. He doesn't seem to have yet. Well, he can stab plenty of people as long as they're not members of a rival organized crime gang. Yeah, or, enough. you know, maybe, you know, the change of scenery has been good for him. Yeah. There's no way of knowing. All that fresh air in London. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next morning, Abattoir Blues plays as Killian wakes up. He sees a paper on his bedside table that says, I will do my duty, sir. He drinks his morning whiskey and stares at the wall and then cries. I just imagine Nick Cave being like, wait a minute, have I never written a song called Abattoir Blues? <laughs> Let's rectify this. <laughs> so we see Killian walk through Fire Street again and arrive at a pub. Grace tells him, uh, I'm sorry, and arrive at the pub, yes. not a pub, the garrison. That's right. Grace tells him that Ada was there and was worried, and she says that in Ada's condition, she needs peace. Women talk, Killian says, that is something they do because this is a manly show, y'all. That's right. Uh, Grace says, Ada says that Killian keeps everything locked up. Ada... You're a member of a fucking criminal conspiracy. Maybe don't run around running your mouth off to random barmaids. She really doesn't think that the, like, she really doesn't think she's going to get cut off, does she? No. No. Because I would have cut her the hell off. Or that anything bad will ever happen. Like, she just does not think that there will be consequences for anything. She thinks everyone is being ridiculous. Yeah. Which is kind of hilarious to me. So Killian points out that keeping everything locked up is what men do, and Grace says she likes Ada and it can't be easy for her. She says men should talk too, and which is a very like, you know, oh, this is a very like post post something attitude, Grace. <laughs> mm-hmm. Killian says to you, and Grace says, why not? Because she's a barmaid. It's her job. Uh, not to Killian. Like, randos tell her there's ROs. Not the head of a criminal organization. <laughs> no, but I thought it was actually kind of brave and appropriate. Like, because it could have been to you and then shut down and she was like, why not? So this was actually her kind of asserting some steeliness. Of course, in 
the rapid succession of all the other dumb things that she's done this episode, her cover is essentially dissolving. Uh-huh. Right. But claiming to be an, a barmaid is not is not a stupid thing to say, so compared to other things, yeah. fair yeah, enough. That's at least consistent with what she's supposedly doing. Yeah. I mean, she didn't have to look at her hand to read her job description, <laughs> so this is good. Like, she's doing she's doing better. She's selling it a little better. Why not? I'm a spy. I mean, a barmaid. A barmaid. <laughs> she asks Killian what he and Terrible Hat are fighting over, and Killian picks up a newspaper and starts reading and says that he'll meet her at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning asks if she bought a dress she did and apparently it looks good yeah so uh a dreamy ethereal melody plays as killian and grace uh wash themselves shave slash put on makeup respectively and get dressed including a gun for each i call this theme uh grace's theme <laughs> His in and case guns. anybody was curious yeah they're well matched yeah. gun wise <laughs> Charlie walks Killian into a car as he says how Curly fixed it up for them. Curly apparently is good with motors but doesn't like them. Curly says that it's because there's no heart in motor cars and you can't talk to them. Charlie says that Killian might need to make a fast getaway and warns him about the Lees and the Kimbers and the police uh, and is just generally a downer like he has been the whole time. Yeah, he really is a bummer. <laughs> Killian ignores him and asks him to turn the starter crank, which he does, and then says that the car only seats four and he's going to need more than that if he wants to come back alive. Killian says it's just him and a girl. Sounds like a good uh, sitcom. Him and a girl. <laughs> and like there's a guy on the, you know, title card like, Bleh! I don't know. Listen, <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Sure. Killian pulls up at the garrison and Grace gets in. So is she living above the garrison? Where's she living? Uh, he's just picking her up from her shift. I don't know. Uh, well, she bathed and got changed and everything. Uh, yeah, that's true. There was that whole montage, Tom. No, you're right. It just happened. So she asks if it's just the two of them, and Killian says something like that. And a jaunty blues song plays as they drive off, followed our, by... Our first jaunty music, I yes. believe. So It's followed by a montage of Arthur and Mumper welcoming a group of ruffians to some alley. Arthur announces that he'll be giving them their final briefing. Cheltenham is 60 miles away and asks Mumper what their mission is, and he says, To stick it to the lays! Arthur agrees and starts a flask going around. He says the leads are skimming money by running chalk, selling rafflers, and then beating up them as won't buy. Mumper asks about Kimber's men, and Arthur says Kimber's let his men go rotten. They're on the take from the Lees, and they're going to show Kimber how it's done. He opens up a crate filled with miscellaneous weapons and tells them to take what they're good at, adding that anyone with a gun shouldn't use it unless a gun is pulled on them. They want this whole thing done very quietly. Somebody asks when they'll share out the cash, but Arthur says they're not keeping it. They're in Tommy's army now. Trust only kin. The jaunty blues music plays them into a truck, and off they go. Finn is there. Yeah. Uh, and he picks up a knife, and Mumper uh, trades that out for a Mac. So, hey, <laughs> there they are, as you said, Lauren, leveraging Finn uh, as early as possible. Yeah. And everybody's super stoked for this. Like they're all. It in does a, seem fun. Morale is high. Yeah, it's not a bad move. He's super short, so you could probably get underneath somebody and really kind of yeah. like get him in the gut or something. No, well, and you know, like things have been kind of boring in Birmingham ever since that copper showed up. I'm sure they can't bust people's skulls in the way they had been. <laughs> yeah. Very little Sam Neill in this episode. Yeah, it's pretty much just been that one scene. Mm-hmm. I think. And Grace fucking everything up. Oh uh, right. Killian and Grace walk past some jockeys. Grace asks if he's sure they're allowed in there. Killian prefers to come to the races the back way, as tracks are lawless places and he can't stand petty criminals. Mm. They're, uh, they're definitely not allowed back there. Grace asks if they'll get to lay a bet. Killian says that gambling's for mugs, and she's lucky she's with him, or she'd be betting money on fixed races. 
Grace wonders how you fix a race, and Killian says, how should I know? They emerge into a fancier area, and he tells Grace to introduce herself as Lady Sarah Duggan of Connemara, who got lost looking for the boy riding her horse, which is Dandy Flower, and to say that Killian is Prussian and doesn't speak a word of English. She hesitates for a second, and he says, come on, posh girl, earn your three quid. Which is a good way to get a posh girl to do anything, (laughs) is to call her a posh girl. That was the one time that he answered a dumb question. Well, but he answered it with another question. That's true. Yeah. A band plays Cataract Rag, which sounds like a horrible rag, (laughs) as some, you know, showgirls or whatever, uh, and some people dance, and Killian and Grace survey the scene, uh, so clearly their ruse to get inside worked. Mm -hmm. Killian says that he prefers the garrison. He asks if Grace dances, and she says if she's asked properly. God, she is so annoying, guys. Everything has to be such a fucking production. Mm Mm-hmm. He says, Lady Sarah of Connemara, will you dance with me? And she takes his hand. They dance, and Killian keeps his eye on Billy Kimber, who's sitting at a table looking like an organized crime boss next to a very bored lady. Yeah. Uh, his accountant is busy writing, but then Billy tells him that the Peaky Blinders are there. The accountant, whose name is Roberts, tells Billy he told him so. He's got some balls, that one, Billy says, that Grace has some body. Uh, this is all pretty standard yeah. uh, gangster thing happening. Sure. They're also wrong, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her body isn't that great. She's yeah, a pretty this... nondescript person in general. Yeah, like, Billy Kimber flips out for her, apparently. I follow her on Twitter, and I have to say it's pretty lackluster. <laughs> There's something very beige about her. Yeah. 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 Uh, in the men's room, we see one of the Lee boys running chalk, which I actually spent some time Googling in the middle of this episode, uh, but then here's a fine demonstration of it. Uh, he shoves some bookie up against the wall and says he's offering him some chalk at five pounds a stick, uh, then helps himself to money from the guy's pocket and says, pleasure doing business with you, and shoves some uh, chalk into his pocket. The bookie scurries off, but then Mumper grabs the Lee around the throat as Arthur greets him and asks how business is before beating the shit out of him along with Mumper and then slicing part of his ear off. That was that was a little rough yeah. to watch. I was like, huh? See, this is what happens when you put Arthur in charge, though. Like, he always takes it like, I'm like, really? Did we have to, like, a beating wasn't enough? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's kind of fair in this instance, though, because they're supposed to be inspiring, like, severe fear for people. That's true. When it comes to menacing, it's, Arthur is the bulldog, and it works quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he tells the Lee, no more chalking on Billy Kimber's boys, right? We're the protection now. I commandeer this stolen money by order of the Peaky Blinders. Man, Arthur's so great at saying that. No, yeah. that's why he's the only one that does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we cut to Arthur hurrying up a fire escape. Yeah, so I'm not sure what selling Rafflers is, but I assume it's basically the same sort of... I just assumed it was like selling, you know, like tear-offs, like at a Catholic festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But then just never awarding the prize. Yeah, or, you know, just doing it un unsanctioned. Yeah. The band plays Five Foot Two Eyes of Blue... Uh, as Killian looks at his watch and then begins dancing in a specific direction. Grace says it either has a weak right foot or they're making a getaway. Killian denies it, and Grace hopes that it doesn't involve razor blades. And I'm like, can you just be quiet? No, I know. That's the thing about Grace is that she never shuts up. It's true. But never says anything of value? Mm-hmm. Women, am I right? <laughs> That's the manliest thing I've ever said. <laughs> Uh, Killian says he's decided to become a legitimate businessman. Grace says, my gosh, you're serious. 
And Killian says, I'm always serious, and I have seven orgasms simultaneously. <laughs> but also accurate. Like, yeah, he yeah. is. He really is. They arrive at a door that Arthur comes through and drops a bunch of bags, and he says that they chased the Lees down to Devon Road, and they got every penny back. He sees Grace and says, nice dress. You can wear that to my pub. <laughs> Um, there's also a well-dressed couple standing about two feet away this whole time, ignoring them, despite mm-hmm. the blood on Arthur's face. And the bag's full of money. Yes. <laughs> Which might as well have big dollar signs on them. That's true. <laughs> uh, Killian asks if anyone was hurt, and Arthur says, just a few cuts and bruises. Killian heads off with Lady Sarah, and the well-dressed couple are making out now. Uh, those extras earned their, you know, scale that day. Yeah. I've never been so into someone that I have not noticed some murder and, and thievery going on. Yeah. But I look forward to the day that I have that <laughs> with someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, a few drinks. It's Cheltenham races. Yeah. Hey, what do I care about the guy that's covered in blood? The band plays Fascination. As Killian makes his way through the crowd to Billy's table, he sets the bags down on it and pours a bunch of coins out of one of them, saying, Your money, Mr. Kimber, rescued from the Lee brothers and returned to you with a request for a fair hearing. He tells Billy that his own protection is failing him, taking cuts, and he suggests that Billy contract his racetrack security to the Beaky Blinders, which would save him a lot of money. In return, he wants 5% of the take and three legal betting pitches at every racetrack north of the River Severn, which is kind of the border between England and Wales and kind of runs north to south, so I'm not even sure what north of the River Severn means in this case, but uh, it would rise to six after one year. Billy says to talk business with his accountant because he wants to dance, which I actually I appreciate the way he operates here because he's saying, I don't want to be in a position where I'm negotiating petty things with somebody who is my superior. Mm -hmm. You know, I keep this guy around so that I can, you know, get the benefit of you know, negotiating and actually being business-like without losing the reputation of, you know, being crazy, criminal, intimidating Mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty solid. So he goes up to, uh, Billy goes up to Grace and says that her man said that it was all right for him to have this dance. So she takes his hand and they dance as Killian watches. The accountant asks how many men Killian can put out in the field. Killian says that there's a lot of men out of work so he can put uh, two guards for every bookie. He says that they have good contacts in the gypsies and they will always know when the Lees are planning to attack. And what with the strikes and troubles, nobody can depend on the police and the blinders are more honest than the police anyway. <laughs> Kind it's true. Of, no, yeah. Like, it's just all gang warfare, including the cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Twas ever thus. <laughs> Billy walks up and says it looks like they're making a deal. The accountant says that they're making progress. Billy says that he is going to throw in a small condition. Uh, well, we can see this coming from <laughs> several miles away. Yeah, I mean, Killian saw it coming several episodes ago. Yes. Yeah, this is at least five or six scenes that we've seen this coming. So we cut to Grace watching them converse inaudibly, and Killian walks up and says they're going to dinner at Kimber's house, but he has some business to settle with the accountant, so she should just go on ahead with Billy Kimber. (laughs) Grace says, just me and him. Killian says, yes, till he's done there, and he'll throw in an extra three quid for her time. Grace says he thinks she's a whore, which he said that to you in the first episode. He said, if you're not a whore, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. She stayed. Yeah, you didn't leave. I feel like as for a spy, she's easily scandalized. I know. Yeah. That's uh, that's my point. And like, anyway, so Killian correctly points out that everyone's a whore, Grace. We just sell different parts of ourselves, uh, which I think is a very open-minded and legitimizing attitude towards sex work in general. Well, right. Especially for the time. Yeah. Yeah. 
So he says that she needs to sharpen up to work with him, and Billy thinks that he's a ladies' man, so he can seduce her. And whenever she wants, she can kick him in the balls. She says, I'm a clause in a contract. So fucking what? Okay, what was your mission, Grace? Let's (laughs) review. Do everything you have to to get close to Killian Murphy. And I know Sam Neill wasn't thinking that would, you know, require being pimped out to not Killian Murphy, but that's just what the job entails. No, she talks such a big, about a big game about how Sam Neill underestimated her, but that was only because she was already had a crush on Tommy Shelby. Yeah, this whole thing, she's just, like, she's like, I would like to do the things to get close to Killian Murphy that are convenient for me Mm -hmm. and I don't mind doing, including singing badly and emptying spittoons yeah <laughs> like that's clearly the job that she thinks she signed up for yeah killian says that if she wants to be part of his organization she has to make sacrifices and he goes back to billy who asks if they have a deal and he says that killian can try his luck with his woman uh who has not had a line but has been great because she is just so over this entire situation yeah i've been a big fan of her uh well she's essentially the you in this <laughs> scenario that's true <laughs> uh Although I've never insisted that I get to rape anybody as part of any business right, deal. Right, this is true. We are not organized criminals, That's but generally true. I sit around bored at fancy parties and you do your thing. Yes. Uh, they agree that Billy can have Grace for two hours. Billy says on the side he bets 10 pounds he fucks her in one hour and then goes over and says, Mademoiselle. And like... Uh, I feel like two hours is too much for anybody's time yeah like if you if it takes two hours for you to seduce me you're weak well i think it's very it seems very crucial to billy kimber to build in like some sort of wooing and courtship so that this doesn't seem like it is in fact a rape right you know what i mean i know like i'm like how long does it take to rape somebody uh varying times i think Mm, fair so Killian and Mrs. Kimber, uh, assuming they're married, which yeah, I don't think they probably, are. Probably not. Oh, no, I didn't get that impression. <laughs> uh, so they're sitting in a stopped car, and you know, Mrs. Kimber, whatever her name is, says that she supposes Billy said Killian could have her, and adds that Killian's woman might be a prostitute, but she isn't. She was a milliner when she met Billy, and she was independent. She says that she made the hat she's wearing, and she was a good milliner. Killian says it's a very pretty hat. Because like, he's a liar. Because <laughs> he is a liar. And, uh, you know, what else are you going to say in that situation? Mrs. K asks if Grace is a prostitute, and Killian says, God's honest truth, he doesn't know what she is. Uh, So, you know. Which is kind of foreshadowing, I think. I mean, I think, but I mean, you know, the real issue is why he hasn't figured out what she is already. Yeah, she's basically been jumping up and down trying to tell him. But you can sort of see, yeah, for sure. But Killian Murphy's character does seem utterly baffled by women. He, yeah, I think they throw him for a loop and so he just chooses not to engage as a general rule. Yeah. He feels like they don't play by his rules. Which, I mean, has been true. Yeah. Even when it's illogical. Like, I don't see what Polly gains by being compassionate toward Freddie Thorne, you know? Yeah. Well, and Killian is sitting in this car looking so bored. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just... Yeah. I'm amazed he managed to get that whole sentence out. He's (laughs) clearly not listening. Yeah. We cut to Grace standing in a billiards room, eyeing the gun in her purse, because uh, she hasn't kicked him in the balls. This is my thing. I'm like, he said you could kick him in the balls anytime you wanted. Yeah. Well, Why let's didn't you? Continue to see how the scene goes. So Billy fires up the gramophone of seduction and <laughs> says that she showed him up back at the races and asked her to teach him how to dance properly. Did they just not watch the race? 
Ah, uh, it doesn't seem that way. All right. I mean, apparently it was fixed anyway, so. Mm-hmm. She says to put on a Charleston, but then he says they'd be far away and he wants to slow dance. Mm. He says that she wasn't so stiff at the races and asks if she's ever been in a house this big. This is all very prom to me. Yeah, it's very, ugh. Yeah. Uh, he stopped Look, dancing. Look, Billy Kimber, Billy Kimber didn't get to go to his prom and it's been haunting him ever since. <laughs> He stops dancing and he strokes her hair and she says that she looks like a bloody film star and he starts kissing her, but she shoves him away and says she wants a cigarette. Billy gathers himself and goes to the drinks table. Grace again goes to her purse, but Billy holds out a glass and drops it on the floor where it shatters and then says, oh, look, I've dropped something. Pick it up. She says to pick it up himself, but he says that she's a fucking barmaid and if he drops a glass, she should pick it up. He wants to watch her. She doesn't, and he walks up to her and grabs her before she can get into her purse and Which she, her. like, three times in the scene, like, half reaches uh-huh. towards. Is, is the purse on a string that's being pulled for the <laughs> Right. Well, because she keeps stopping to listen to him. Yeah. Like, either defend yourself or don't defend yourself in this situation. All those glasses were gorgeous, and I sobbed a little when they dropped <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he... Is like pulling up her skirts and keeps telling her that if he drops a glass, she should pick it up. And Grace keeps trying to get her gun out when Killian comes in past a butler who kind of is like, uh, 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 well, he thought it was okay to show him in, and then he saw that there was a rape going on, and yeah. he has standing like, instructions not to interrupt his raping. So, uh, so B- Billy Kimber angrily says he's got another hour with Grace. I'm like, it took you an hour to get to this point. Oh my god! And more importantly, Grace. At no point during that hour did you see fit to keep your purse near you. Right. Like, did the drive to the place count in the hour? Like, like- I am sorry to be victim blamey here, but <laughs> she is a spy trained by the government. Yeah. This should like, not be that difficult. I also feel like on the ride, he would have been horrible. Right? Yeah. Like, he would have been all handsy yeah. and, like, doing... Anyway, I don't know. And how long does it take to get to your house? And how long does it take to shoot someone, Grace? Just get it together, Grace. God. Stop talking and shoot him. Well, Killian puts talking to better use by saying that his conscience finally got the better of him. Grace, as it turns out, has the clap. Uh, he says that he'd intended to let her infect him, but his better nature took over. He tells Grace to go wait in the car, and then she, apropos of nothing, says she can walk on her own. Right. Nobody denied that. They just said you have the clap. So she heads. <laughs> she heads out past and a limp. <laughs> she heads out past uh, common law, Mrs. K, and Killian asks if they can shake hands and forget about it. Billy just raises his eyebrows, and Killian leaves. He's just stunned. He has no idea what just happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, look, it's a very clever ruse on Killian's part. Why he didn't think of it before? Yeah, I'm not clear. Maybe. Like, how, like, was this how he planned it all to go down? I don't know. Or was he testing Grace and then felt bad about it because she's so posh? Nah, I don't know. Look, we don't know what he is either. Well, I think Killian Murphy, probably because of all that time he spent with Ada, does clearly have some sympathy for the profoundly stupid, which uh- I think we can agree <laughs> that Grace really is. That's a good point. So some servant opens the gates for Killian and Grace to drive out. Grace says, at the start of the day, I was Lady Sarah of Connemara. By the end, I was a whore with the clap. As if anybody cares, those were both fake. You're yeah. a spy. Those were both not You're real, true things. You're supposed to be able to do fake personas and not worry about it. She's totally that person of, I don't want to play this game because I don't like my backstory. Yeah. <laughs> totally that person. Yeah. <sighs> 
She says that Killian's a bastard for offering her like that. Has he ever purported to not be a bastard? <laughs> right. Has he ever at any point been like, Grace, I'm really a nice guy with a bit of an opium problem? <laughs> no, he has not said that to her. He has been a dick the whole time. Yeah, his level of consistency I actually appreciate. You know exactly what to expect. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, she says, but he ended up changing his mind, and she asks why, and Killian, as usual, ignores her. Good call. Yeah. Good job, Killian. The episode ends, as all episodes would end, with Grace getting ignored. <laughs> I uh, do hope that's a true But you know, she didn't <laughs> sing, and that's really good. You're right. I think that was great. Less great was there was no Sam Neill, really, in this episode. Not much, yeah. That was kind of a bummer. Although, I mean, it, you know, they were, they were bringing Moss into the, the picture. Yeah, was- and also fleshing out Billy Kimber and his whole situation. And Freddie, like, here's the thing is, I think a lot of it was used for Freddie Thorne to be a, kind of a whole character, but, but we didn't need him to be. We were yeah. fine with him not no. being. I'm fine with Freddie Thorne not being a person. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So, in this, Sam Neill and I are united. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for Peaky Blinders Season 1, Episode 3. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll catch everybody next time. By order of the Peaky Blinders!